Once again, to another fine episode of the OST Party, a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about the soundtracks to your favorite films. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your co-host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is shaking? Oh, I don't know what it is about this movie tonight, but I am hella thirsty. Oh, no. (laughs) Well... This is a this is a case tonight where uh watching the film I can kind of say I can kind of say yeah I get it I oh, really yeah. get it <laughs> oh yeah so what are we watching tonight uh, tonight we're watching and discussing uh, 1989's Earth Girls Are Easy yes they are <laughs> yes yes we are we are indeed uh, especially when you look like Jeff Goldblum in 1989. So uh, that's uh, my problem. Okay. Uh, yeah. okay. It's really it's a lot of dudes problems. So uh, but before we get to that, uh, we've got a poll to talk about. We have three this- polls to talk about. Yes, indeed. So uh, so last week we uh, we put to the test, uh, which was the worst James Bond theme. There were so many great ones and we weren't able to do so many of them that we decided just to narrow it down and go straight for what everybody hated. So, uh, Joe, why don't you talk about the first bracket? Okay, yeah, bracket number one was the real sort of, uh, the real test of wills in the the worst of Bond films. We had Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, All Time High from Octopussy, and The Writings on the Wall from uh, Spectre. And with 50% of the votes, Writings on the Wall... Uh, took uh, the worst of round one, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies is such a horrible, horrible, horrible song. I actually, I was at a record store today, and I thought about you, because I was flipping through the James Bond themes, and I looked for Octopussy, and I couldn't find <laughs> it. I was going to buy it for you as a joke. Oh, <laughs> I'm sad now. Yeah. Oh, well, well. Sorry. Next time. Yeah, next time. And then uh, round number two, Libby, what you got? All right. Uh, this, we had, we picked five uh so this was two it was the man with the golden gun versus die another day and with 60 percent of the vote die another day took uh the worst of bracket two yeah kind of narrowly eking out a vote kind of narrowly eking out the win because that vote count was kind of low but uh yeah i kind of feel like die another day deserved it Oh, yeah, that's a terrible garbage song. Uh, and so then for round three, we pit Die Another Day against the writings on the wall. And Libby, how did that poll shake out? I was very surprised because the writings on the wall took 58% of the vote to Die Another Day's 42%. Uh, that really, people hate the writings on the wall. And I think I know why. Because Radiohead pitched a song for Spectre. And they thought, nah, give it to that guy. So we could have had a Radiohead Bond theme. And instead we got the writings on the wall. I don't know how I feel about that. So anything would have been better. Yeah, really. Realistically, yeah, anything. But yeah, like people hate writings on the wall so much they hate it more than Die Another Day. That blows my mind. I know, because Die Another Day is just, it's it's a glitchy mess. It's dire. No pun intended, but God. Ugh. Oh, man. So, so, so there, there you have it. We'll have another poll posted after uh, tonight's episode. So please, please vote for your favorite. Absolutely. Don't worry. I, I feel We're like going this... back to positive things now. Exactly. We're going to flip it back around again. Uh, yes. So, Libby, uh, this was your choice for this week. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Earth Girls Are Easy? Earth Girls Are Easy uh, is the third in the Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum trilogy, which also includes The Fly and Transylvania 65000. It is an amazing film that is perfect and cannot be, uh, there is no, there's nothing bad about this film except that it's probably too short. Um, basically, uh, Gina Davis plays a manicurist named Valerie, who, after finding her doctor boyfriend cheating on her, uh is sunbathing when three horny aliens crash into her pool knowing that they'll be caught if they're in their uh, furry alienness she takes them to her friend candy's salon in which they are shaved and it turns out that they are jim carrey damon waynes and jeff goldblum at peak 
hotness. So then there's lots of zany sex comedy. Uh, Angeline shows up, uh, LA's own Angeline. And Jeff Goldblum takes his shirt off a bunch of times. So it's really an amazing film. It's, it's the most, I, I want to say it's the most 1989 film imaginable. It is fascinatingly 1989. It is just all of the 80s distilled into, actually, it's, it's very, very, very short. It's 100 minutes. Mm hmm. And it is packed full of 80s-ness. Yeah, absolutely. And the soundtrack, which we're getting into in a little bit, is kind of an odd mix, if I'm being polite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, and, and, you know, we can certainly get into, into its, its soundtrack nature. But what was fascinating about it, this film was directed by Julian Temple, mm. um, who also directed The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Uh, is a, a fascinating director, and so it's sort of billed as a musical. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are several musical sort of numbers, but it's not the musical in kind of the traditional sense. Yeah, it's a lot. a lot of pop. Yeah, a, a lot of critics kind of uh, either panned it or praised it for being basically a feature-length music video. And I think coming from this director, that makes total complete sense because if you mm -hmm. look at like his sort of body of work, he's probably the the one person who sort of most established the MTV style more than anybody else. Yeah, and you see that, and there are a couple sequences that really kind of stop and stop for that music video sense. But this movie is so fun and so bizarre that it never feels out of place. Yeah, that, that's really not a knock against it. I mean, this is definitely sort of built to be kind of a, a sort of pop musical and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it works perfectly well as a musical. Yeah. It's, and actually they did try to make it a musical. Julie Brown um, pitched it and there were table reads of it, but it never, it never quite made it into it never made that transition right like, this was kind of based on an album of hers right or something like that loosely so her song uh earth girls are easy appears on her uh ep goddess in progress and mm. it recounts that she this, she was sunbathing and this alien crashed into her pool and he's super horny and it's it's one of those that listening to it now it sounds like super rapey, like he uses like his love touch on her and then they have sex. And you're like, uh, that doesn't sound consensual. Mm -hmm. But um, but it was the 80s. And this was sort of uh, Nathan Rabin, who I normally hate, pointed out that this was kind of one of those last sex romps before the AIDS crisis really, really hit and kind of ruined all that. And this film is so horny. <laughs> it really is. But in a really delightful way where, like, the women are just as thirsty as the men, and it never feels like anybody's being taken advantage of or tricked. Yeah, it's all honestly very kind of innocent as yeah. far as, as the sort of the sex, the sex positiveness of it goes. Because, like, sure, everybody in, in the Valley is painted as being just the absolute horniest person on the, on the planet, and everyone's kind of cool with that, and no one really yeah. minds. Yeah, but if you looked at Jeff Goldblum... In 1989, you would be too. I, I mean, I am comfortably, you know, cishet, whatever you want to call it. I can acknowledge that Jeff Goldblum in this movie was a very pretty man. Sploosh. So it's, oh my God. To this, I mean, like, I was really, really, really into this film in grad school. And <laughs> it makes a really good pairing, by the way, with um, Buckaroo Banzai. Ooh, yeah. It's a that makes a really, really good double feature. Um, this is, I always said uh, this was kind of Bucker Bonsai for girls. I can see just, that. It's just such a weird film. So. Right. I, I can see that. And, and it's kind of equally sort of a, become a cult film in the years since, too. Because, mm -hmm. like, wow. this, I, I mean, I know you've clearly watched this movie dozens and dozens of times. I might have seen this maybe three or four times in my entire life. And when I was like, when we were young, this was one of those films that was always on TV on like Comedy Central in the late '90s. So I've kind of seen seen it in bits and pieces, and then you know watched it once in college and discovered that oh, all those strange bits and pieces are the same movie. Yeah, well, to to kind of 
acknowledge how big an impact this film has on me. Um, the dress she wears at the end, the pink one, mm-hmm. I actually modeled my the dress I wore for grad school. Uh, I made a dress that looked just like hers. Oh, wow. And wore it for my grad school graduation. It also helped that my friend Matthew uh, looked exactly like Jeff Goldblum in this movie. <laughs> he was, he, and it still is uh, ridiculously handsome, but he really, 10 years ago, like looked like Goldblum. So this was kind of, this is like in a weird way, kind of like our film. So, cause we, we would, we'd watch this. His was kind of Bucker Bonsai. Mine was Earth Girls Are Easy. We would quote this film to each other. So nice. Um, I've got a real, a real, real soft spot in my heart for this. So <laughs> um, this is a, it's, it's a great movie. I'm really excited about it. So let's, I guess, jump back real quick to talk about the title song, Earth Girls Are Easy. Is this the same song as the Julie Brown song or is it a different song altogether i honestly have no idea it is a different song now uh what they did with uh the title song is they sort of sampled the chorus which is the it's the same uh the same melody and then built the song around that um and the the chorus line earth girls are easy um and so it's it's i guess it samples it in that way it's a completely new song but um, there are a couple lines throughout the film that come directly from uh, from Julie Brown's song. And Julie Brown, by the way, plays uh, Candy, the her uh, Valerie's best friend's fellow manicurist. Um, the the image of her sunbathing when the aliens crash into her pool in the first verse that is uh, that's a direct scene. And then later in the nightclub. Uh, she says, I want his baby, which is a line from the song as well. Okay. So. So that, that made me wonder, like, how much she actually wrote the film versus how much they just took from kind of her music. So I think that... she was she was very involved. Okay. Okay. So. That makes more sense. Okay. Cool. And again, adds to that sort of music video feel. Yeah. The great thing is she looks a lot like my friend Rachel, which is hysterical because Rachel is not a bimbo mm-hmm. but like looks just like julie brown in the best way and <laughs> actually i guess i uh, told me in a talent show she like did a julie brown song in a high school talent show so just like again it makes me i have so many like personal connections to this film it reminds me of so many people in my life <laughs> i have never fucked an alien though well I don't know how to respond to that. So. <laughs> so, I, I would say there's still time, but I'm a married woman, so I don't think that's going to happen. If you're out there, Jeff Goldblum, I'm I'm right here. You can find me at OST party. Or or a blue Yeti that happens to look like Jeff Goldblum. Whatever, you never I'm not know. picky. Whatever. So I want to point out that um, <laughs> when they when he, when um she first when they first arrive, she says they look like Wookies, and I think that uh, we at OST party do want to extend our deepest condolences to the family of Peter Mayhew. I was thinking about him. Yes, absolutely. As I watched this. So, and Chewbacca also, was quite a Wookiee. He really, really was. And also, it can't be uh, uh, un- it can't be uh, ignored that we are recording this on May 4th, Star Wars Day. There you have it. So, here we are. So, we decided not to do Star Wars. We decided to do Earth Girls Are Easy. We could have done the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, God. No. That'll be a crossover with Christmas Creeps. I've already done a podcast on that, and I almost got, I almost killed myself. Honestly, the Star Wars Holiday Special is like the only Star, like post, you know, we like c- Star Wars film that I hold as canon. We could. It's canon. We could talk about the Star Wars disco album. Yes. By Miko. It's out there. I need it. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. Uh, so let's get back to Earth Girls Are Easy. The soundtrack is kind of. So, a lot of the times when we talk about these soundtracks, sometimes they're the songs are arranged in like chronological order, like throughout the film. That's really not the case here. This is kind of a jumbled mess, if you ask yeah. me. There is this soundtrack was such a disappointment when I bought it because this is one I, d- I have on CD and I actually have on vinyl. Uh, Matthew bought me a copy that we found at a record store in Portland, Maine. Ooh, nice. So it was still shrink wrapped. Ooh, wow. Yes, um, but it's it's not in order, and several of the songs are not as they are in the film. 
such as like uh, take us the, through this real the quick. Kind of big one is uh the ground you walk on, which is the second number we hear. Mm-hmm. And uh in the, the sequence Brand New Girl, which we can also talk about, they decide to make Valerie like a blonde bombshell in the sense to to sort of make her more exciting for uh, her boyfriend, Ted, who's played by uh, Charles Rocket. And he, because he, his interest in her is kind of flagging, so they make her a blonde. But when he comes home, he has his nurse with him. Here comes Dr. Love. And so the blonde thing does not work. She throws him out of the house, and then she sings this song, The Ground You Walk On. And Gina Davis's voice is so beautiful. And it's such a well-composed song because she's sort of going through how much she loved him and how she would watch him sleep. And the video sort of portion of it is very funny because it's her just constantly ruining things for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, She knocks him into the pool while he's barbecuing. She, uh, She makes him drop the football during the big game. And... And again, so you get that music video feel, but in between that, she's just just destroying the house while wearing pink negligee. It's a great visual. Gina Davis is the most beautiful human who has ever lived, ever in the world. And I, I heard Libby cry out in terror when uh, Valerie throws Madonna's "Who's That Girl" into the fire. I was not pleased with that, but <laughs> Madonna actually was. I love that visual though because Madonna was offered this role and she turned it down. Mm. So fuck you, Madonna. It's a little bit of shit. Also, on you wrote "Die Another Day." That's right. So this is an anti-Madonna podcast. No, we love Madonna, but um, I the thing with that is it builds as she's lamenting how heartbroken she is, but it builds to the end where she sings like, and I'm stronger than I knew and I'm stronger than you knew. Now, for some reason, Mm -hmm. they decided that future Oscar winner and national treasure, Gina Davis, her version wasn't good enough, I guess. So, yeah. That's bizarre. It yeah. is because they had Jill Jones, who I don't know who the fuck that is, have never heard of her, re record it. And it could not be more generically 80s if, if it came out of a factory. It is soulless. Her voice goes for a, it goes about three notes in either direction. There's, it's all nasally. And. They bump up the, and I'm stronger than you knew, into about the second verse, which doesn't make sense. The song has to build to that. Right, yeah. So they botch it right off the top, and there's no reason for it. Mm. None at all. I can't think of, I've never to this day read an explanation of why they didn't have the original in there. Yeah, I really don't know, and it's... Kind of a shame too, because when when I'm listening, I'm listening to the album in my car. I have it on CD as well. When I hit that song, I it, I got about a minute or two into it and just went skip. This is a hard skip. I just yeah. can't do it. No, but then, it's. But then when you see it in the film, it's great. Yeah, so it really is. Problem is. Yeah, if if you know, please uh, reach out to us at mm. OST Party on Twitter if you know why they did this. And another thing that I'm, I want to point out real quick while we're talking about this stuff, and I'm looking at sort of the the soundtrack you know, listing. Uh, this was apparently mostly produced by Nile Rodgers, which I had no clue of. Oh, yeah. Which is wow. pretty amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, he's incredible. And, I, and I'm not sure who the N is, but from the wikipedia entry if you click on the hyperlink at the end it takes you to Nile Rodgers so i just assume that that's him singing i think julie brown is involved in that and a bunch of probably session guys but yeah but so. that that makes me think that most of the songs on this album are original and not just you know plucked from whoever's album you know a handful of them i'm mm-hmm. um, 
uh, Cosmic Thing comes off, uh, which was also produced by Nell Rogers, comes off of the B-52s album of the same name. Okay, so that's just a coincidence. All right. So, yeah, I mean, they, they put that in. That's a great song. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, okay. and yeah, and it's strange because this film went through a lot of reshoots and a lot of weird issues. Um, and so there was a scene where they used the song, I like them big and stupid, mm-hmm. which you hear in the nightclub. Yeah. You hear that in the film. Yeah. But there, but it's all, it's not on the soundtrack. Nope. And there was a scene that was planned where they're driving down the boulevard and she's singing it and that scene is featured in the extras and it's a lyric video and it's it's a great song uh i weirdly think about walton goggins when i hear that even though he seems like a perfectly (laughs) smart and average height guy but that's just the song that you sing in your head whenever you think of of of, uh walton goggins isn't it yeah i can't explain I can't explain it. Maybe because he only ever plays trash fire characters. Maybe so. But Maybe that's always so. that's always one I've wanted to do at karaoke. I, that is a, such a fun song, and it's a shame that it's not on the album. Mm, yeah, but so. they were, but in the film they were pl- kind of replaced that number with the because uh, I'm a blonde vid like I, I wanted to say video, but it basically is a video. Yeah, but like, that, that, was... that was a reshoot basically. Yeah, that was cut in later, and that's on here. And again, it's Julie Brown. That is such a funny song. It's a really good song. Like, I, I it makes me it makes me think that like m- more of this was originally going to be basically. I think I I said this to you on Twitter. Uh, Julie Brown presents the Julie Brown movie starring Julie Brown, like featuring a, Gina Davis, featuring Gina Davis by accident. Yeah, so. like it was going to be more uh, based on sort of her music than anything else, and then they kind of in the production sort of went away from that, which yeah. I kind of understand, but like it's Julie Brown and it's fun. Why wouldn't you do it? <laughs> and she really, she steals the show and she's delightful in every single scene she's in. Um, and actually, and that's again, one of the the problems with the soundtrack is the song brand new girl, uh, which is kind of the first musical number. Mm-hmm. The, the, the film, the music video portion of the film is there's a great chorus. Um, it's everybody in the hair in the salon curl up and die, and oh yeah. everyone. <laughs> Sorry, this this movie really kind of subscribes to the Bob's Burgers school of like store names. Yes, like um, two thousand and one flavors: curl up and die. The eyes have it. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, but the um the the sequence has these great dancers, these incredible costumes. Um, everyone sort of joins in in the chorus and the version that is on the soundtrack um, it's it's the second to last song on the B-side even though it's the first song in the film other than obviously Earth Girls Are Easy during the title sequence Mm -hmm. but um, it's the first number yeah and instead it's just sort of Julie Brown solo with a couple sort of chorus members, but they're not the cast. They're just backup like, singers. Yeah, like studio voices, basically. And it doesn't have that same energy that the scene has. Yeah, I think divorced from that scene, the song is kind of just... I don't know. There's a reason they shunted it off to the end of the album, basically. Yeah, and there's but there's no reason to, because again, you had a competent version that made the film. Yeah, and and this is something that soundtracks do a lot. Like they'll take the version that ends up in the film and they'll either cut it down or or mix it down somehow or just use a different take and it's always worse. I don't understand that. Yeah. Like they not... always they're always good at picking the version that sounds better in the film but just not on the soundtrack. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that has to do with royalties or what, but there's no reason to have that lame-ass version on the sound Because the soundtrack doesn't really have... It's got some good stuff. But it really doesn't have a whole lot going for it. Yeah, because... It just, sorry. Yeah, you could... You, you want to hear the songs that are in the film. That's like getting the soundtrack to Les Mis and then just getting a bunch of French folk songs. Like, I bought this because there's a musical that I like... 
why aren't those songs from the musical on the soundtrack? Why are these bunch of French folk songs? What is happening? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, it really doesn't do the film any justice, really. Yeah. It, it, so it, yeah, it's a shame because there are actually a handful of songs on here that are genuinely really good, and I feel like we can start talking about some of those. Uh, honestly, most of them are. No, I'm not going to say most of them. Some of them are cover songs, uh, which I guess means it's time for Under the Covers, and I'm going to take the lead on this one. Yes, indeed. Ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Join me under the covers so that I may regale you with stories of Daryl Hall and John. That's terrible. What am I doing? (laughs) I kind of like it. Sorry that I ruined the mood. (laughs) <laughs> no, join. No, really, join me under the covers, and we'll talk about Hall and Oates for a few minutes. Because yes, uh, please. The song that plays over the end credits is Hall and Oates doing a cover of Love Train. The band, remind me. The OJs. The OJs. Thank you. Um, it's a great song, and their cover is very interesting. Like I don't, I'm not going to say it's better than the original, but it's definitely a, a really good like '80s sort of take on it. Yeah, it's very very slick. And this was actually the single that came mm. off this album. I found the single in a picture sleeve in a record store in New Jersey, uh, and which was great the b-side is actually earth girls are easy huh so how often does that happen where the title track is the b-side that's rare yeah absolutely i mean let's be real hall and oats can't do anything wrong they're amazing they're hall and oats right from the mean streets of philadelphia (laughs) and uh I don't really have a whole lot to say about Love Train because it's just a good song. Like it's it's the song that leads off the album, and it's a really strong hit. And kind of you kind of just move on from there. Uh, but this is actually an album that has three or four cover songs on it. If you if yeah. you, if you want to count um, the grounds you walk on as a cover song, <laughs> Ugh, let's just not count that at all. Um, I do want to point out one thing. Sure. Um. So, uh, Daryl Hall. Sang with sang the song with the OJ's in 2016 in a live version of his uh, live from Daryl's house television show. They joined him on that. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. So, and this song has been covered by like everyone, um, including uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue uh, for the end of the end credits of Final Destination Three. Oh God! There is nothing about that sentence that makes any sense to me. No, that's horrible. And apparently Anna Kendrick, Justin Timberlake, James Corden, and uh, some other people covered this in the opening for Trolls Holiday, which is another sentence I hate. Coming soon to a Christmas Creeps episode near you. God damn it. So, well, you can reference back to this. But um, this song shows up a lot. It's very, very, very popular. Mm -hmm. It's it's been played uh, at the... Times Square uh, New Year's Eve uh, ball drop. It's on the Martian soundtrack. It's on King of the Hill Scrubs. It's been used in Coors Lights commercials, mm-hmm. the film Dead Presidents. It's in everything. Um, so this song is very popular. It's easy to cover. It's a great song. And right. Hollow Notes do a great version of it. Absolutely, they do. So. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a perennial classic. Mm-hmm. So it, showing up here only makes sense. Yeah. So uh, but that does not uh that's, that does not end the uh the cover train as it were because <laughs> later in the film we get uh Route 66 covered by Depeche Mode. Again, is, something else that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but I, if I'm being honest, I'm kind of into it. <laughs> all right i it's one i usually like if i'm paying attention to the album sometimes i'll skip over it Mm -hmm. i mean it's very sort of 
I mean, the song is already kind of stripped down and bare bones, but like something about the way Depeche Mode does it, they just take it down to just sort of its its sort of bass and drum and very thin guitar line, and it works for me. I don't know. Yeah. Because in in the film, it's it they play it when um uh no after Zebo and Whiplock steal Woody's car. Woody, by the way, is played by Michael McKeon, and that just fascinates me. And it's it's great because I mean obviously I've seen a lot I've seen a lot of the Christopher Guest films I've seen Clue but my most recent sort of interaction with Michael McKeon is Better Call Saul. Yes, absolutely. And he's so serious on that and he's so good and you sort of forget that he played this like California sun baked stoner in Earth Girls Are Easy (laughs) and he's so funny in it. I love the bit where, you know, he's looking around. He's like, what is this? And it's like, oh, you drove your car into your pool. I do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty rad car, though. Where's it made? Finland. Finland, Finland. I heard of that. Hey, man. Whoa, dude. Like, it's that character, you know? Yeah. And he's so (laughs) delightful. He's just, he's so pure. We must protect Michael McKeon at all costs. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so uh, Zebo and Whitlock, Whip, Zebo and Whitlock, Jesus, Zebo and Whiplock, Zebo and Whiplock steal Woody's car, and they take it joyriding. Uh, meanwhile, the B fifty two song "Cosmic Thing" is playing, which we'll get to in a little bit. But then after that, after that, after all that's happened, uh, they're still driving, and Route sixty six by Depeche Mode's playing, and it's just kind of. It's a little bit sleazy and a little dark, and it takes this idea of like road tripping to its its sort of conclusion where, oh, you've made it to California, and now it's not exactly what you expected. Which, to me, and I think that's why this one doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. because this film is so relentlessly candy-coated when you look at the costuming, when you look at the setting and the prop design and the lighting and everything else and the script itself to sort of this doesn't fit to me against things like baby gonna shake love train earth girls are easy brand new girl it cosmic thing like it just doesn't quite mesh yeah I, it is kind of the it, the odd man out on this album um I don't know what it really what about it fascinates me so much. I think it's just that it is like I said we said the odd man out. It's yeah. different in a way that I appreciate and I'm, in, I'm into. Also cuz I honestly kind of thought it was uh Joy Division for a second when That's I hysterical. It, which shows you how invested I am in all this music and I just <laughs> forgot and I apologize. <laughs> But uh, yeah, That's I don't fair. know. I'm into it. But then when you compare that to the next song on the soundtrack that it's kind of butted up against, uh, the third song on this album, a cover of Bo Diddley's Who Do You Love by, we said we weren't going to do it, and now we're going to do it, the Jesus and Mary chain. <laughs> this is everything that I, the way you the way you feel about Route 66, I feel about Who Do You Love. It's yeah. It's joyless, it's boring, and honestly, I've already moved on. Let's move yeah, on. let's move on. <laughs> so, so <laughs> go ahead. No, um, the one I'm kind of interested in talking about, um, because there's sort of two sequences that we get, like blocks of music. Yeah. And we've talked about the car chase and the nightclub scene. Uh, we get, um, we actually get, Three, because we get I Like Him Big and Stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, we get Baby Gonna Shake by Royalty, and we get Hit Me by the Information Society. And now the club scene, um, what has happened at this point in the film, they have shaved the Martians, and they are, uh, again, they're Jeff Goldblum, and he's super hot, and they're cruising down the boulevard, and Valerie's sort of like, we can't let people see them, and Meanwhile, Candy is like, let's go clubbing. Like, did you ever think you'd be cruising the boulevard with shaved Martians? <laughs> <laughs> She's so fucking delightful. And so they end up going to this nightclub. And it's it's uh, at the Griffith Park Observatory in uh, L.A., by the yes. way. The, the nightclub is just the observatory that you see in like every fucking movie, including uh, Rebel Without a Cause, which they reference in the movie. 
That movie now, ends at the observatory, <laughs> and then this movie goes there. Yes, and I actually want to, uh, while I, while we're on the subject of uh, Rebel Without a Cause, who does You Are Tearing Me Apart better? Uh, Whiplock or Johnny in the room? Ooh, I hadn't even thought. Oh, my God. It's Johnny in the room. Oh, come on. <laughs> This right. this 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 is a this is the cookie dough version of of Jim Carrey. We haven't gotten him fully formed yet. So <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say point Tommy Wiseau. All right. Okay. We'll give that to him. So um so they go Valerie again is she's she doesn't want to be here. Um and this scene is another sort of uh, music video sequence because they're all dancing. Weibo and Ziploc are freaking out because they're just babes everywhere. There are just girls, and that's why they came here. And uh, this really is sort of uh, Zebo's scene. Yeah, and he is dancing with a girl that Jilly Brown or that uh, Candy refers to as Tanya. They start dancing. This super smooth dude comes in and says, hey, baby, why dance with why be with a zero when you can dance with a hero? And it starts this insane dance off sequence. This is my this is my favorite scene in the movie. It's so great. And and there's no reason for it to exist, except that it's just amazing. And. It's to Baby Gonna Shake by Royalty, which is a song that goes on way longer than it needs to. It, yeah. When you listen to it on the soundtrack, honestly, that scene could be like two and a half hours long and I would watch it. It, and just, it feels it, like it takes 10 minutes of the movie and that song just keeps on going. But you don't notice or remind it. It's a good yeah. song. It's so, and it's such a fun scene yeah. because again, it's just joy. It's just such a happy scene and it's just this weird dance off. And they just keep dancing, and uh, it uh, <laughs> it's it's great because this this dude kind of horns in on Zebo's action and is like, you know, let me show you how it's done. He starts doing this really weird like balletic dance that no no reasonable person does at a nightclub, for one. But then Zebo is just like dancing right back, and he's just doing it because it's fun and he's having a good time, and he's learning to be human. Like exactly, their whole understanding of of human nature is based either on other people or on movies that they've seen while flipping through Valerie's TV. Right. They don't have any other sort of forms of communication. And the fact that nobody notices that speaks a lot to LA. It really sets up the setting. If this movie's anything else besides like being kind of a, a fun sci-fi romance sort of movie, it's also like a really like cutting parody of the LA sort of Valley scene in the eighties. Yeah, because at one point the scene between with the dance off cuts between the the club itself and then Mac and Valerie up on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. And at one point he asks, like, Valerie, are we limp and hard to manage? <laughs> <laughs> and he says it so earnestly, and honestly, that scene up on the rooftop. So Mac comes up, he's stolen somebody's uh sequined blue jacket, which he totally rocks. And says to the uh the piano player uh that he's like you know move over i'll drive which is a line that he had picked up or why don't you rest your uh thumbs a bit i'll drive yeah and uh goes and just plays jazz piano now jeff goldblum is an accomplished jazz pianist i have one of his records it's great (laughs) and the look he gives her while he's playing jazz piano, I swear to God, that look got me pregnant. Oh, my God. That is the sexiest look anyone has ever given. It's so... This, those two got married during this. And the fact that they, they're not still married honestly breaks my heart. The only thing that breaks my heart slightly le- more than that is the fact that Jeff Goldblum's wife is my age. Oh, wow. I could have no hit idea. that. You could have. And I'm Damn. mad that I didn't. Woulda, so, coulda, shoulda. I know, I know. And actually, my friend Matthew sort of knows him. So I was like, God damn it! You I could have been... You could have set that up for him. I know. I could have been the future ex-Mrs. Malcolm. <sighs> <laughs> but, um... He's always on the lookout. Yeah, well... Uh, there's still time, I guess. But, um... 
it's such a that's such a gorgeous little scene that is sort of smashed up against this nightclub scene mm-hmm. and it's it's beautifully cut it fits together really well but uh once they're done sort of dancing to baby gonna shake it goes to uh information society's hit me which is just very much like a, it's a straight club song yeah um it's there's that's the only it's all sort of techno instrumental and hit me is at the refrain is the only vocal and during that, like, uh, Whiplock is making out with Candy because he's got this really long tongue. And everyone's like, I'm going home with him. I'm going home with him. No, I'm going home with him. And again, that I love that sort of, like, unrestrained female sexuality mm-hmm. in this film. I really, really love it. And... And, uh, and, and kind of kind of shameless about it too, and not in the sense that like, oh, it's a bad thing, but like, there, there's just no sense of shame in it. Like, it's, it's just this is just what people do. It's fine. Yeah, and at it's no great. point is Candy ever shamed. No, I mean Gina Davis or well, Valerie rather. No, the other like, the other girls are like the other girls call her a bitch later. That's really that's because she goes home with Whiplock. Yeah, uh, but and uh. Valerie is sort of like, I can't believe you're Frenching an alien in front of all these people. But it's not, it's that he's an alien, not that she's out of bounds. Yeah, not that she's making out with a dude in the middle of a nightclub. Yeah, because everybody, I mean, that's why you go to nightclubs. But, um, and so I really, I really love that about this film. There is no prudishness to it. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, no one calls Candy a slut. Yeah. So, um... And Gina Davis has distanced herself a little from this film, which makes me sad because it is in a lot of ways, a very, very feminist film in that women go after what they want in it. Yeah. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, yeah, they don't see any problem with it. Uh, The movie kind of says, Hey, this is cool. This is fine. We're all just having fun here and that's okay. Yeah. And so the fact that she's sort of like, and that it is, it's a very female led film. Mm hmm. So that it kind of like it hurts personally. It's like, well, why are you doing that, Gina Davis, my other mom, my imaginary <laughs> I w- mom? I wonder what what Jeff Goldblum thinks of this film. Then he probably just thinks it's wonderful because he's just made of pure light and handsomeness, it's a being of pure energy. He is. Jeff Goldblum is so pure. He's such a good and pure person. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing. There's, I don't think he has any like vindictiveness or ugliness. Like he is just pure radiant light. Yeah, so, he's. I love him. He, he everybody is, does. He is Jeff. Yeah. So, <laughs> a magical, magical man. But um, but no, I, I I really a lot of times. I mean, we they do use club scenes a lot. We see this in the Crow. Um, as a way to like shoehorn in music, which is mm-hmm. fine, but whereas like the cross nightclub scenes feel endless, these feel they make me want to go to nightclubs, and nightclubs aren't like that. Yeah, it it really is kind of centerpieced in the film in the way that the crow scenes really aren't, because the, the, those scenes aren't about the nightclub. They're not about uh, my life with the Thrill Kill cult. They're about people with guns shooting each other yeah they're about and this is top shoes like just snorting mountains of cocaine (laughs) right top gear and his his magical goons but this this film like it's really more about sort of the social interactions and people you know people coming together either in a good way or a bad way and just that's i mean this scene is all is what the whole film is about is these aliens learning to be human Yes, and also it's the most well lit nightclub I've ever seen. It looks like a. It looks like a, a. I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a, a magical jungle gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I want to go to. I want to go. I want to go to there. It's like I. Yeah. I will party at the Griffiths Observatory. Like if that's what if that's what nightclubs are, I'll go. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All the ones I've ever been in have been like dim and full of hipsters, which was also fun in its own way. Yeah, you have to be in the right mood for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, real, just the last thing I'll say about this scene. This is the scene that I saw as a kid and just did not know what I was watching. Like, I had no idea that this was Earth Girls Are Easy. I just saw Damon Wayans dancing with some dude and just, like, weirdness. And then some other time I saw a scene where 
the three aliens in their full sort of hairy alien mode. And I just thought that was a completely different movie. And it wasn't until like years and years later when I saw the film start to finish and realized this is all the same movie. <laughs> and it's That's awesome. Great. I used to watch this um, when I worked at a video store. I would like put this on. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So it was it was PG-13. So. Yes, I guess go. it's fair game. Yeah. But. Um, so yeah, we've really been bouncing around uh, the soundtrack here tonight. Uh, so Libby, is there any like one song that really stands out to you as like I guess the best song on the album? What's what's your favorite here? Ooh, that's tough. Um, putting you on the spot. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go with because I'm a blonde. Okay, that's because, that's, a, that's fair. Yeah, because this is the version we hear in the film. Mm-hmm. It's. I, I my other I was gonna go with baby gonna shake, but it goes on like nine hours too long. Yeah. And cosmic thing is one of my favorite B fifty two songs, but so that seems kind of unfair, uh, because I have it on other albums. But um, I'm gonna go yeah with because I'm a blonde. It just it cracks me up every single time I hear it. So. Okay. It just makes me happy. Oh yeah, it's it's a a great joke too, especially like if you, if you know that it's supposed to be a parody of of I guess B- Valley Girl Blondes in the eighties. It yeah. it really works. I like it a lot too. It's um, and especially Julie Brown later uh, parodied uh, Madonna's uh, Truth or Dare uh, with a uh, film called Dare to Be Truthful, uh, and she the the tour it was a parody of madonna's blonde ambition tour and it was called blonde leading the blonde <laughs> which is the funniest thing i've ever heard oh that's great like that only so. just makes me like julie brown more julie brown <laughs> is she's precious yeah. um, everyone in this film must be protected at all costs including jim carrey including jim carrey the once I, in, the once and future eggman yes and i have to say when i saw that I thought, yes, that is the perfect role for him because I've realized that when you want something to be, you you have really two choices when it comes to that sort of character. You can go highbrow and get Neil Patrick Harris, who will give it a certain gravitas. If you just care about raking in a bunch of money, you get Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, we're talking about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that's coming out later this year, where Jim Carrey's playing the villain, and it looks like a perfect excuse to get Jim Carrey to do Jim Carrey stuff. Uh-huh. I will say uh. this, though. Uh, just on the music front, uh, the uh, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise was used in the trailer for inexplicable reasons. Yes. And uh, Weird Al Yankovic tweeted the next day that he was very concerned that they were using a parody of Amish Paradise in the trailer. <laughs> That's amazing. He's oh, the man. best. He really is. So, okay, so then what's your favorite song on uh, Earth Girls Are Easy? You see, I was going to also say uh, Shake That Cosmic Thing, but when I was driving around in the car today listening to it, it struck me that it sounded like it sounded like a Weird Al parody of a B-52 song about space Mm -hmm. aliens. And then I realized, oh, that's just uh, Slime Creatures from Outer Space, which is a Weird Al song about space aliens. Yes. Uh, So I, I can't say that. So I'm going to have to say, oh, God, I'm going to say it's Love Train. Like, this this album kind of came and went when I was driving around today, came back around to Love Train, and I didn't stop it. I let it keep going because that song is really just that good. No matter, yeah. who, no matter who covers it, it's just that good. It's an immensely pleasurable song. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to give another shout out to uh, I Like Him Big and Stupid, even though it didn't make the... Uh, the soundtrack. One yeah. other thing about this soundtrack, it is out of print. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I don't know how much faith I can put in that because most albums nowadays are out of, or most CDs are out of print. I guess. Well, but that it's. I mean, it's been out of print for a while. It's not on Spotify. A lot of it has been oh. pulled from um, uh, social media. I tried to. Okay. Uh, I tried to pull this. Uh, I played. Um, 
the 45 on Record Saturday's Jukebox Heroes, mm-hmm. and I could not find uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, God. Every single version has been pulled. Uh, so again, the importance of physical media. It's not that it's hard to find, but um, again, I've got it. I've got it on CD. I've got it on vinyl. I've got the 45. But it's not. It's it's not going to be on streaming. So physical media again, so important to to just have it. Right. Yeah. And you recommended that I go and just buy a copy for this episode so i did i got my cd off of amazon for like four bucks mm-hmm. so it's it's not you know hard to come by it's just not really in demand which is a yeah shame. and it's not it's not as accessible as things like the crow or tommy boy or some of the other soundtracks yeah. that we've done because it's really it doesn't do the movie justice yeah it's kind of hacked together and there's i guess what we're saying is the best way to enjoy this soundtrack is to just watch the movie yeah, and I don't know. Maybe uh, my all I'm saying is um, the the scene with the the ground you walk on, as sung by Gina Davis, is on YouTube, and mm. um, somehow I just uh, you know have come by the the MP3 of that. So that is the version that I have in my iTunes. I'm not going to say how. That's I'm not good... going to encourage piracy, but you know, do what you got to do. That's a good pull. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's Earth Girls Are Easy, everybody. If you have uh, uh, questions or comments about this episode, you know, please hit, up, hit us up on uh, t- the Twitters. We are at OST Party or email us at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Uh, remember to come and vote on the uh, best song poll that we're going to put up uh, as this episode airs. And uh, so, uh, Libby, where can they find you on the Twitters? You can find me at Libby Cudmore on Twitter. Or at uh, record underscore Saturday on Instagram. Joe, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat and the, at Cordial Wombat on Instagram. I'm going to try to get better about using that because I haven't done very good at it lately. I'm going to try my best. Good. No That's promises. all you can do. No promises. Social <laughs> media is a wasteland and Twitter's kind of all I can handle right now. <laughs> good old Twitter. It's, I always describe it like playing in traffic. That's fair. It's, it's dangerous. No one should ever do it. But you know what? It's kind of fun. <laughs> so, all right. So, so yeah. What, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so what are we doing next time? Uh, next time, Libby, I need you to come with me as we go deeper underground. Because it's time to talk about the soundtrack to 1998's Godzilla. Oh, boy. Because there is a new Godzilla coming out, and we must honor it in the only way this podcast knows how, by talking about a movie soundtrack. And the only Godzilla soundtrack that exists is Godzilla 98's I'm So Sorry. Well, we can be heroes just for one day. (laughs) Absolutely. So for OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. (laughs) 